the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Uh, Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged in, of course, to AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word in Orlando, a good place to keep your dial set uh, all day long. You know, you'll be better for it. Uh, here's the story. Uh, we're going to have a couple of very interesting guests. And we get on the air because of the engineering skills of one Pete Paquette. And um, uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show for us each weekend. Uh, let me introduce to you Dennis Allen, former Air Force F-15 fighter and instructor pilot. Uh, his book is called The Disciple Dilemma, uh, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Uh, Dennis joins us from his home in Virginia. Nice to welcome you to Orlando, Dennis. How you doing? Good, Dad. I have to be with you. Uh, tell me why uh, it was important to write this book. What is The Dilemma? I kept noticing something in the in the world both of Christianity when you're working as a participant in, in the Lord's churches as a leader, um, just to somebody in the pew, and as well as a business guy. That's turf that you're really familiar with in the corporate world. I kept seeing a very eerie similarity, which is this. We don't know how to pursue our mission that Christ gave us as disciples, just like a lot of businesses don't know how to pursue their mission and get their people to pursue their mission. And it's destroying the followership of disciples of Christ. The statistics are stunning. So I started looking into this, and I said, what's going on? And I started talking with some theologians, and the book began to emerge. Dennis, uh, at the very beginning of your book, let's uh, dive in. Christian tradition says salvation is free, lordship is optional. Business tradition says I'm here for the benefits. Uh, What are you telling us there at the beginning of your book? One of the biggest challenges that you face as a leader in any kind of organization, whether it's the church or the business world, is getting your people to believe that they have a unique dignity and a place and a calling and a destiny with your organization. And when we look at that, in the church, we see that people are really struggling to understand what's their calling. They understand they're supposed to be in the pews, but what is it? What's the greater calling? Just as in the business world, a lot of people go to work just for the paycheck, just for the benefits, and you don't have much loyalty today in the business community. There's a lot of what we call churn, employee turnover. People are 
walking away rapidly from just short tenures of business. And interestingly, we're seeing the same thing in the church. For example, millennials today, about six out of 10 who are raised in the church, walking away, not coming back. It's an eerie similarity in both the business world for the benefits and the tradition of Christianity. It's like, I want to get saved, but this thing about lordship, now I'm good, don't need it. Dennis Allen is with us. Dennis, let's move on. Uh, Christian tradition, catch and release, under-discipled converts, business tradition, hire faster. The last ones we didn't train are leaving. Tell us more. So this book, even though it says it's the disciple dilemma, is really a leadership book. Mm. And we want to say right out of the gate, this is not a conversation to condemn pastors, condemn churches, to put shame, blame, guilt on anybody, but it's to talk about causes that have hacked their way into Christianity. 1,800 years ago, this hack began, and it's ripping us up. It's causing discipleship to become fragile and brittle. So, you know, you just read one of our causes that we call catch and release, and the whole point is, we're really strong in the Christian community about getting people to come to know Jesus. And then we leave them oftentimes as orphans on the sidelines, Pat. We say, hey, here's a Bible. Get to be a member of the church. Hope it works great for you. There's no biblical Jesus-directed relationship and discipleship, and it's causing fragile, brittle disciples to emerge. Now we move on. Christian tradition, power makes everything better. Business tradition, kiss the ring. (laughs) Tell us more. Well, in the business world, of course, when you're dealing with somebody who has a great deal of power, it is kiss the ring. You'd better be really nice to Vladimir Putin. You'd better be really nice to the people who are the top folks in the organizations that you work with, or sometimes the power can descend down on you, and that's not a good thing. Interestingly, in the Christian community, going back again to the third century, Christianity was under great persecution by the Romans. Suddenly, an emperor by the name of Constantine showed up. And what we found was churches that used to be made up of four, five, maybe eight people suddenly had 200 people standing outside the door. And when they showed up, we didn't know how to deal with them. This whole idea of power became the idea you have to be a part of the in crowd, the Christian crowd, but it doesn't mean you need to know what lordship means, what surrender means. The book is trying to make the point, if you don't understand how power can divert you as a leader, divert you as a disciple, it will wreck your discipleship. And now, um, I, I just want you to know, folks, Dennis Allen is with us. We're talking about his book, The Disciple Dilemma. Next topic for you, Dennis, Christian tradition, clerical distancing, no liturgies without a license, business tradition, if I want your help, I'll give it to you. Yeah, so what, we, what we're trying to communicate here, we stole from the pandemic, right, you think about social distancing. Clerical distancing, clericalism, is the idea that only the pros, the people with the degrees, are allowed to do the stuff that we think are the heavy lifts in Christianity, whether it would be Bible study, baptisms, burying the in-laws, all those sorts of things. 
just for the pros. The rest of you, you sit in the pew, be amazed. And what we learned over the years, this goes all the way back to the 4th century with uh, clerical distancing, we taught believers your job is to sit still, and the pros are supposed to do the work. Therefore, it becomes what we call concierge Christianity. I come in and get entertained, check the kids into their Sunday school program, grab my coffee, you make me feel good, I go home undone. And the pros are left with the burden of trying to carry the ball of discipleship, all of the ministry work, which was originally intended for all of us. Clerical distancing is another cause problem that we need to get rid of. Dennis, topic number six is a Christian tradition. Herd community causes disciples. Business tradition, too big to fail. Explain that to us. This one is a big question, Pat. It is not an attack on a mega church or a big church. Don't hear that. What I want you to hear is this idea of it is not possible to just put a bunch of basketball players in a room and show them a videotape and expect them to suddenly become great basketball players. You have to get out in a relationship with people, work the floor. Just like that in golf, you can't watch the videotapes, you can't go to the pro shop and be a great golfer. You've got to walk alongside some great golfers and practice. In herd community, we stole this again from the pandemic when we think about herd immunity, herd community is you don't put a bunch of believers in a room in a big worship service and slosh them around and expect disciples to come out. You have to break it down into the relationship Christ called us to. Now let's go on to topic number seven, Dennis. Christian tradition. The not main things. Business tradition. Mission drift. Uh Unravel that one for us. Yeah, this is one that really zeroes in on the leadership aspects of Christianity. When we talk about one of the main problems in corporate America, I'm a turnaround CEO. I go into broken corporations. My joke is I'm in corporate repentance because repentance is the turnaround, right? So helping struggling corporations turn around. And the main problem is we don't know why we're here. And the same problem begins to occur in the church because we have taken our leaders— pastors, elders, deacons, small group leaders, ministry people, and we turn them into managers. There's nothing wrong with management, but when leaders are pulled into being managers, they become distracted, and the not main things take over the agenda of the main thing, which is, shortly and briefly stated, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all kinds of people. This is mission drift, and this is really the core of the dilemma. With that, we move to part two. Part one, what is the dilemma? Part two, the dilemma's effects. The dilemma and the disciple, the dilemma and the Christian community. Uh, Tell us about the dilemma's effects. When you look at the symptoms that we're facing today, the people who are walking off on their faith, the so-called nuns, I no longer attend church, the nuns, I no longer have anything to do with my faith. When you look at The people in the pews, large swaths, the research shows us 80% of the people in the pew today who are still attending, no Bible study, they have no fellowship, they have no real prayer life. That's 8 out of 10. 9 out of 10 say, talking about my faith is not my job, it belongs to the pros up in the pulpit. The effects are in two phases. One, the symptom, which is we're seeing this tremendous degradation in discipleship. Two... 
it's affecting Christian community because people are looking at Christian community and saying, well, you're just a club. You're just a clique. You're just a political cause. You're just a social event. We don't see you being any different than the rest of us. So the effects are we're diluting the effect of salt and light in the world, and we are making fragile and brittle disciples. Dennis Frank, Dennis Allen is with us. He's um, in Virginia, Northern Virginia. Uh, what a background. A former in leadership with mega mid-sized and startup churches, an elder, a deacon, a teacher, and speaker across the Presbyterian and the Evangelical Free Baptist Churches, military chapels in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. Uh, we're talking about his book, The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Well, Dennis, at the end of the book, towards the end, part three, Moving Forward, A Better Path. Uh, tell us what you're going to teach us here. What's the, what's the story here? What we're trying to tell folks, again, is not a shame, blame, guilt, work harder path. What we're trying to say is we need to rethink the fact that we have tried to upgrade the discipleship that Jesus gave us. Version 1.0 would be Jesus' version. We tried to come up with a version 2.0 over a long period of centuries, and what we've done is we've upgraded into a non-functional ransomware hack type of discipleship. So the path forward for us is, can we re-baseline? Leaders, this means a culture change in your church, and like it means in business, this is not a microwave event. This is a long-term game where we have to rebuild culture, the memory of the way our people think, act, and behave, even when we're not around. What does that mean? What are the implications of that in discipleship? Well, there are five topics uh, under uh, the heading here of part three, and uh, we'll cover one here before the break, and then we'll, uh, after the break, we'll dive into the rest of them. But uh, Dennis, uh, the first one here, simply a disciple of Christ. Uh, tell us what you're teaching there. What does that mean? We're trying to take in one chapter what people have written thousands of books about, so please let me just humbly say this is one chapter by a guy who is just a regular guy trying to talk about what the Bible says about discipleship, and it's about each of us as an individual do have obligations to learn, be in sermons, go on mission trips, be in ministry, be involved as people who love Christ, and yet also do we have wingmen walking alongside us in our lives so we can relate to one another and connect with other people who don't know Christ? Muscle memory change, life transformation for the rest of my life. That's kind of a short story on that chapter. Uh, my name is Pat Williams, and every weekend uh, we gather uh, just like this uh, on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And always have some uh, really, really interesting guests. Uh, I do want to remind you that my latest book is out. And when you go up to order The Disciple Dilemma, uh, pick up a copy of Every Day is Game Day. Uh, we wrote the book together with my friend uh, Mark Atterbury. It's a 365-day <clears throat> devotional, sports devotional. Uh, Every Day has a sports story, sports anecdote. Uh, with a devotional that comes uh, with it, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Every day is game day. 
Well, folks, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Uh, Our guest, Dennis Allen, will be back with us here talking about his book, The Disciple Dilemma. Stay with More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Dennis Allen, former Air Force F-15 fighter and instructor pilot, is our guest. Uh, We're talking about his book, The Disciple Dilemma. And Dennis, we've arrived at uh, the topic, A Path Forward, The Mission and Culture. Explain that. One of the things that I've noticed in business turnarounds, Pat, is that a lot of the leaders, CEOs on down, don't really understand what mission and culture mean to an organization. They think mission is a flowery statement that you put on a shelf somewhere after doing a retreat once a year. They think that culture is just what everybody naturally does because they can read your mind and they follow exactly what you want them to do without you even have to remind them. That's a problem in the business world, and it's an equivalent problem in the church because most pastors have gotten wonderful theological training, but very little to expose them to the importance of a mission and the culture that serves that mission. Mission is all about what we do, and every decision and everything we do should center on that mission, which we argue. And by the way, folks, if you don't like what I'm saying, Pat invited me on, so it's his fault, not mine. Here we go. The mission of the believer and the mission of the church are both to make disciples, and we must focus ourselves with our unique talents and locations on doing that. So that's the mission. Do we do that? And the culture is teaching our people to follow with discipline and rigor that mission. Now explain to us the true mission of a Christian community. Uh, You do a whole chapter on that. We spend a lot of time on this because the baggage around mission has often been, as we said, this flowery statement where we talk about our values and our ethics and what we think, and that's not exactly a mission. And we gave a number of business examples of organizations that have very tight, very focused missions, and a lot of organizations who had very flowery missions, and by the way, they don't exist any longer. So that's kind of some fun reading. The true mission of a Christian community is to bring people to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, to pursue them with all their heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mission of Christian community. If we do that, worship, ministry, mission trips, all that other stuff happens. But if we try to focus our mission on growth, buildings, programs, celebrities, well, we're just going to have an entertainment venue, and it's going to produce gradual, brittle disciples. So leadership, we've got to think about how crucial getting on mission is for Christianity. Dennis, uh, we now have arrived at the part of the book that I've been waiting uh, all morning for. Uh, it's called The Duty of Leaders. And then that leads to the final chapter, Leadership and discipling in tumultuous times. Uh, that's, the, I think, the meat of this book, and I'm so eager to hear you explain it. This is the crux of it all, Pat. Thanks for teeing that up. The plain, straightforward point is leaders 
We will not undo this hack if you're simply preaching or simply running seminars or simply running programs. The duty of leaders is to help educate, certainly say what we must do, what the Bible calls us to do. But then we have to model that, and we have to find people who will model that modeling. In other words, how we make disciples among us who will make disciples. If we basically construct a universe where people come to church, they go home, they pull up the drawbridge, they stay indoors, and the salt and light of the gospel doesn't pour into the streets of the communities that we live in, we aren't making disciples. We're just making educated Christians who are sitting in pews. The duty of leaders, we have to start changing church, and church doesn't like to change. So, leaders, is there really a problem, and do you really want to take this journey? It's going to be long, but it's biblical. It's what Christ called us to do. And in the times that we live in today, with all the turbulence from the headlines to the real-world events to the business world and all the other things you can think about, how do we penetrate the arts the media, the academies, the business world, the sports world. It is by disciples, walking alongside disciples, making disciples of unbelievers and those who are already believers to follow Christ with all their heart. Uh, Dennis, <clears throat> what do you want to, everybody to take from this discussion that we've had and from your book? Uh, what, what's the bottom line to all this? My plea is, especially for the leadership, and if you're over 15 years of age and you've been a believer for more than a year, you're implicated here, but especially for formal leadership, would you please take a look at this and decide, is there really a problem? Is it really among the people of my church? And if so, who will be your wingman to come alongside you and refocus on the mission and the calling and the destiny Christ has given to all of us? It will be a struggle. But it is worthwhile because Christ has called us to that. Are you ready for that? That's the question. Now, are you ready to go? We tried to give you a map you can follow that we think is biblical. Our prayer is you'll hit us at DiscipleDilemma.com. Take a look at the conversation and go with us on the journey. Dennis, from your experience in the military, in the church, in the business world, do you see common traits of great leaders, common threads? absolutely wonderful traits of great leaders. We see it across the New Testament, and we see it today. And we see it as people who have the courage to say, I'm going back to a biblical model. Uh, an example I would give you in contemporary Christianity is Francis Chan, who, running a megachurch, said, boy, that's complicated. We need to break this down more. And he took the courage to help reassemble, reform that church. Fantastic leadership model there. And, of course, we can look back in history of people, even go back to Pope Gregory, who had the courage to reform and rethink the way we relate so that we keep that relationship going forward. Christ has given us a lot of great examples, Pat. Do you think um, leaders are born with certain leadership traits, or are they developed? Well, I'm, I'm going to go really hard into certain people have natural skills, but all of us are called to be a leader of one or more, and you and I have the obligation to lead, and the Lord teaches us in Scripture how that works, what leadership looks like, so that we can go out and make those relationships and invite people to come check out the Lord Jesus Christ. Dennis, as I study the great leaders of history, the church, it seems to me the the number one quality they have is simply the word vision. They 
They see the future before it gets here. Uh, Then they work backwards, putting the pieces in place to turn that vision into reality. Does that ring a bell with you? The idea of vision, I find, gets confusing across lines because people define them in different ways. I like the way you set it up. The Lord has already given us the future. He's already called the shots. He is the Lord who is on the hunt for us. Our vision, then, is to pick up that conversation to help people come check out the Lord Jesus Christ. There's vision for us, and then we begin to move this forward. Leaders, yes, you absolutely have to park in your soul. You are called, every one of you, to go out and make disciples, whether it's one or thousands. That's a common trait for all of us as believers in Christ. Dennis, uh, what are the leadership traits about Jesus that you most admire? (laughs) What a great question. He asked questions of people. He got their story. He got them talking and them thinking and left them with the same dilemma. Who are you? Who am I, meaning Jesus? And where is this journey going? That is a fantastic trait of a leader. Listening to people instead of simply being the most wise and wonderful person in the room. I love that about Christ. That's great. In fact, I liked it so much, Dennis, I wrote it down. (laughs) Jesus was a great question asker. Got people talking, then he listened to people, and then asked more questions. (laughs) That's a great lesson for all of us. Well, I'm so glad that we had a chance to visit, Dennis. Congrats on your book, and uh, anytime you write another one, uh, we're here waiting for you. Honored to be with you, Pat. Thanks for having me. Folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Go up to the website. OrlandoDreamers.com, OrlandoDreamers.com, and just check in. We need to hear from you. Uh, Just let us know your thoughts. Uh, We're working at it, and uh, Orlando's become a major market, big-time city, and ready to become a Major League Baseball city. We've got more after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dennis Allen here with us in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Well, we go from Dennis Allen's home in Northern Virginia all the way across the country to San Diego, and we found Kyle Duncan there, uh, best-selling author. And and this book, uh, and boy, I can't wait to dive in, Kyle, Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. Uh, first of all, welcome back to Orlando, Kyle. Uh, we're uh, We're glad you're here. How are you? Thank you, Pat. It's a pleasure. Love Orlando. Love the the people. Love the food. And it's great to be here. Good for you. (laughs) This book is fascinating. What's the background, Kyle? I have a Ukrainian adopted son. Really? Uh, Yes, we have three biological daughters, and and we adopted our son when he was six years old 
from Ukraine in much, much more peaceful days in 2007. And so as an American family uh, with the Ukrainian son, we took a very keen interest in uh, facts on the ground and developments there over the last eight years. Uh, ever since the uh, annexation of Crimea and the outbreak of the Civil War in 2014. What are the front lines of faith and survival and miraculous intervention? Can you can you explain them to us? Yeah, you know, so we. Um, I'm a writer, as you know, as my background publisher years in you know, working in faith based publishing and. Uh, not a reporter, though some journalism background. And um, I just, when this, this latest conflict broke out on February 24th, I really sensed, um, I had a lot of frustration and felt kind of helpless. What can I do for, we made a lot of friends in Ukraine because of my son. And um, just knowing what they were going through and, and the uncertainty and, the, and the, the fear. And God just downloaded this idea for um, just to write stories to to just give voice to the people of Ukraine and tell stories uh, as they are or were told, told to me. And that's that's the background for why I wrote this book. Kyle, what has been your son's reaction to this war in Ukraine? You know, it's been hard to keep him off an airplane. Uh, he's 21. He's gung-ho. He feels, um, you know, a great deal of indignance and if we, if he had the money, he probably would have would have been on an airplane to Poland and then have have joined uh, the Ukrainian army. Uh, because he was born there, he we've been told he he if he were to visit, he would be enlisted up until his twenty sixth birthday. So, so that we instead he's finishing a uh, welding program right now. That's when his he wants to go into that field. And I told him, son, when this war is over, I promise you, you and I will go back there as part of the humanitarian effort and we'll help rebuild. And your your welding skills will, will come into great use. Mm, what a great, what an interesting story. Interesting story. Um, so what is your sense of all this, Kyle? Where is this all re- uh, heading? What is Putin up to? Yeah. What's he want? What, what? How do you interpret all this? Yeah, you know, it's... Um, and and most of my my background with this is is firsthand interviews with many Ukrainians, both uh, you know within Ukraine and also in places like Poland, refugees, and it's um it, it's the geopolitical repercussions Pat are are enormous. I believe as we've seen, it's had repercussions for China, and there you know there's been some saber rattling as they they eye Taiwan. Um, I think as as Christians, as believers, there's a spiritual aspect to this, and um, and we really need to pray, you know, not only obviously for peace, but we, we need to pray for um, conviction and for righteousness in this situation. And, and so my take on it is that um, that there are some, you know, there are some very bad, bad actors here, you know, and, and, uh, and that I don't... I love the the Russian the, the nation of Russia, but um, the Kremlin is 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 not uh, taking things in a healthy direction for Europe or the world. Uh, tell me about the church in Ukraine. Tell me about believers in Ukraine. What what do you know? 
Yeah, you know, I've spoken with um, so many who are uh, both been, you know, had to flee and also in country, and and I, I tell you that the faith of Ukrainians is amazing. In in light or, or in the face of this danger and face of this terror, I mean, you know, imagine tomorrow a police officer showing up at, at our door saying, "You've got two hours to get out." Uh, this this invading force is on the outskirts of your town, and you have to throw everything you own into a rolling suitcase and a backpack and leave. And and it's just almost hard to comprehend, you know, uh, that something like this could happen in modern-day Europe. But, of course, it is the, the largest conflict and the most devastating uh, in Europe since World War II. And so it's... Um, the repercussions of this are, are huge, and but but the faith aspect is what has so impressed me, Pat, with Ukrainians that I interviewed. It's it's of resilience. It's even in this darkest nightmare, the depth of faith and the commitment to Christ is shining very brightly um, across that country. With with pastors I spoke with with. Um, uh, military chaplains that are on the front lines with soldiers and with refugees. Do most of these people speak good English, Kyle? You know, I would say that the younger you go, the more likely it is they are to speak English. But, but um, you know, and then the elderly folks, very few speak English. So when I was there, Pat, most of the time I was in Poland, and I had a young man with me who was my translator, and that was indispensable. He spoke, of course, Polish, English, Russian, and some Ukrainian. Um, and so that was, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it without Stas, my interpreter. But, um, of course, then what happens, I'd do the interviews, and they would speak in Polish or, well, Ukrainian, and then I would have to have those translated. So it was a very interesting experience. Kyle Duncan is our guest. His book, Hope for Ukraine, Tell me more, Kyle, about the Ukrainian refugees who left the country in mass and they're scattered all over yeah. Europe. Uh, how do yeah. these other countries deal with that? What's going on? What's your take? Yeah, you know, I can speak, of course, um, most accurately of Poland because I was there and I was I was in a lot of the country, and I spoke with Poles and Ukrainian refugees alike, and I have to say that, that the Polish people, the Polish, the country of Poland has really stepped up in a huge way. They have, they've led the way. They have the most refugees um, living there, staying there. I believe it's um, somewhere between 3.5 and 4 million. And just to give you a little context for that and, like, open a window for listeners, um, they have a program there where they have they have reached out to Ukrainian refugees with teaching backgrounds and hired them to come into the the the, the uh, schools and made room for extra classrooms of Ukrainian kids so that those kids who are obviously very traumatized you know coming out of living in bomb shelters for weeks or months and then having to go to a strange country you can imagine a little five or six year old kid than having to go to school and, and, and it being in a different language, such as Polish. So they've actually, the, the Polish government um, organized very quickly uh, this educational program where they, they actually hired Ukrainian teachers, refugees, to teach 
Ukrainian refugee children. That's just one uh, ingenious thing that the Polish government's done. Of course, think about housing 3.5 million people in a country that's, you know, I think it's smaller than Texas. It's it's been it's been an incredible uh, response, and and of course from neighboring countries as well. That the NATO countries along that eastern front with Ukraine. My guest, uh, Kyle Duncan. Kyle, uh, speaking of faith in in, in Ukraine, uh, Protestants, Catholics. Uh, what's what's the what's the largest number? What's your thought? Yeah, um, well, and, and I, this is from sort of my memory. I don't have the, t- the uh, statistics on hand. I believe that most Ukrainians would identify as Ukrainian Orthodox, which is, of course, a very interesting story, because when this war broke out, um, the Russian Orthodox churches in Ukraine, most of them lobbied to break away from the Mother Church in Moscow, and uh, become its own um, arm of the Orthodox Church, and and they were able to do that, and and so you have a, a very large Ukrainian Orthodox population now. You have you have priests that um, have done very uh, brave acts, you know, right on the front lines. The Russians telling them, you know, you have to. You have to change your church back to Russian Orthodox, and them saying no, we won't do that. And then the next would be um, Protestant, and a very, uh, a very large, thriving evangelical and born again population, if you will, in Ukraine. And the church. Um, so many followers of Jesus, you know, through the through the, the older Orthodox faith, and also uh, the Protestant uh, denominations, similar to what we have here. Um, I know that Baptist is, is a large denomination there. Assemblies of God is very large. And so, you know, the born-again population there, even among the soldiers, is, is quite, quite large. Tell me more about the soldiers of Ukraine. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, what people, um, what's amazing about the Ukrainians is, you know, we, if you recall, Pat, around February 24th and soon after, when the, Ukrainian, uh, the Russian army was looming, you know, just pouring across the border from Belarus headed toward Kiev. I, I don't think many people gave Ukrainians a lot of, of you know, hope that, that they could with, withstand that onslaught of that of the Russian army. But they did. And people were surprised. And, of course, we've seen the grit and just the guts of the Ukrainian army. against. It's a, very much a David and Goliath story. You know, and that are it's smaller, it's not as well equipped, but we've seen how they've stepped up. And one of the things, the reasons that is, Pat, is because of the civil war that broke out in the southeastern part of the country eight years ago. What that means is that many Ukrainians have cycled in and out of the army over the last eight years. They have a they have a veteran force that's still veter- very relatively young. And 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 battle tested already, so it was almost as if you you were poking a sleeping giant there, and that is one of the reasons why they've been able to go pretty much toe to toe with you know the superpower army that that, that Russia's brought brought to the battlefield. But in in the truth of the matter is, are we finding out that this is not a superpower army? 
Uh, we keep hearing yeah. those reports. Absolutely. I mean, I you know, and again, I am not. I'm not. I don't. I don't teach at a war college, nor am I a military expert. But I, you know, I I have studied this this subject very deeply, and yes. Now, what the outcome of this war is going to be is is unseen, and I don't think even the best military um, experts can predict. However, um, one thing is for sure: the Russian army has not performed anywhere near to what uh, the rest of the world anticipated. They've had mainly because of logistical problems on the ground and troop coordination. And just, you know, different parts of, of a military force doing an invasion, the communication and the um, logistics of telecommunications has to be perfect. And that has not been the case. And there's been a lot of, you know, the left not knowing what the right is doing. And that's very apparent. It's really, it's really, it's revealed some very shocking truths about the current state of the Russian military. Kyle, where does the Crimea figure in all this? I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear that last question. Well, I'll tell you when we come back, I'm going to ask you about uh, Crimea and where that fits. Yes. And uh, yes. What, what what the significance of all that is. I want to hear about that. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> Kyle Duncan is our guest, uh, best-selling uh, author. Uh, he's worked with some wonderful people like John Wooden, uh, Gary Chapman, Voice of the Martyrs, Toby Mack. Uh, we're talking about his book, <clears throat> Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. Kyle uh, is uh, in San Diego, uh, used to live here, spent a year living in Central Florida, so we're we're glad to have him. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's uh, Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Duncan is our guest from San Diego. And, and Kyle, I had asked you about the Crimea and where that fits in all this. Yeah, you know, when, when my co-author Esther Fedorkevich and I set out to write this book, um, what we both knew and what I found out more about Crimea is that um, it has a long, very complex history tied to both um, Ukraine and Russia going back, well, you know, a millennium and, and further. But one thing is for sure, um, and, and your listeners might be interested to know this, that in the 50s, Khrushchev, basically, this is, you know, you got to remember, this was the USSR, it was the Soviet Socialist People of of Ukraine, it was a part of the the Soviet Empire, and in the mid-50s, Khrushchev basically said to Ukraine, we want to um, give back the Crimean Peninsula to the Ukrainian people, our friends in Ukraine. And so since then, uh, Crimea has been a part of Ukraine. And then, of course, in 1991, when the Soviet Union uh, fell apart, the wall came down, Ukraine became an independent nation. So for 31, well, up until 2014, Crimea was a sovereign uh, area, 
if you will, uh, region of Ukraine. And then, um, of course, Putin and the Russian military invaded shortly after the uh, the, the end of the Sochi Olympics, just across the peninsula, if you remember, took place in Russia that year. And just a couple months later, um, the Russian army invaded and illegally annexed uh, the peninsula from from the nation of Ukraine. What do you think Putin wants out of all this? Does he want to restore the whole Soviet Union? I, I think he wants to restore the glory of Russia um, in, in whatever that semblance of, of um, you know, reality it looks like in his mind. I think that he has a, um, yeah, it, it's, it's truly um, wanting to leave a legacy, his legacy, of rebuilding um, something great that would resemble the, the USSR. I don't think he would want to call it that again, or, or certainly not a communist or even a socialist republic. But, you know, as an oligarch and, um, and and with the Kremlin, you know, the moves they've been making in nations such as Georgia and um, and other places, you know, where they go in and, and then they invade and, and then will hold referendums, you know, and it was what they did in Crimea. You know, they invaded and then basically, uh, you know, told people you're going to vote this way and do a referendum, have people vote. And then basically announced to the world that Crimea is part of Russia. And yeah, so it's empire building, really. And it, it's at a level that we haven't seen, of course, in this century, um, in Europe, uh, particularly. And, uh, and, and that, that's what's a bit frightening. If, if, if he were to capture all of Ukraine, uh, what would be next? What are your thoughts on the president of Ukraine, Mr. Zelensky? Yeah, you know, here we have a guy who was who was an actor, was on a TV show about, you know, becoming the president. You know, on the TV show, he plays a guy who's a teacher who does a speech about how corrupt the government is or whatever. And then he suddenly gets swept into office. So sometimes art uh, imitates reality and vice versa. And there you have this this young guy, 40 some well, young for me, <laughs> uh, this 40 something young you know, charismatic person uh, sweeps into office. I know, you know, his regime, um, we've heard stories, you know, what regime is, is perfect. You know, there's been, there's been allegations of, of different uh, things happening in his regime and his government. But I, I think you saw a man transformed as of this invasion. And I've been extremely proud, impressed with him. I know that he um, he has Jewish roots, and he's you know been accused of being a Nazi, which is is laughable. His most of his family was killed in the Holocaust, and one of his uncles survived. And because that one uncle survived, he's he's alive today, and, and a great uncle, I should say. And so I'm I've been impressed with him, Pat, um, as a president, and how he's operated, and the way he stepped up to the plate and uh, really been a force within Ukraine. Um, I'm, you know, putting aside my own political views of, of how he's how he ran the country prior to this, because frankly, I'm, I don't, I'm not an expert in the field, you know, so I don't, I can't judge his politics, but I have been extremely impressed with him as a leader. And I think that he is doing about as 
good of a job as you could expect anybody in a similar situation with the resources that he has at hand. Kyle, uh, here's a challenge for all of us. I find myself praying uh, that Mr. Putin uh, will find the Lord. And that, uh, absolutely. And he'll open up his heart and accept Jesus. I, I, I think that's really the key to the whole thing. If that could ever happen, well, God can do anything we know. Absolutely. And, and there's actually a chapter toward the end of the book. You know, most of the chapters, Pat, are just stories. You know, I just wanted to get out of the way. And I just asked the Lord, you know, Father, I just want to um, capture these stories as they are told to me and then just, just write them as closely to how they were told to me. And, and hopefully we've accomplished that. But there is a story toward the end of the book about how do we pray for our enemy. Because Jesus tells us to do that. It's easy to pray for our friends. It's a lot harder to pray for our enemies. But that is, that is what we are to do. And it's a, it's, sometimes that's hard for us with our human pea brains to wrap, wrap our, our brains around it. But I, I applaud you for praying for him. I pray for him also. Does it mean I have to like his policies? Does it mean that you know, I don't want our government to support the Ukrainian cause? Of course not. But there's reality on the gr- realities on the ground. But his heart, yes, I pray for a change of heart. I pray for peace. I pray for godliness to flow across the halls of the Kremlin. I think that that's a very strong and and appropriate prayer. Kyle, uh, what are your thoughts on, we, we keep hearing this word oligarchs in Russia. What, mm. What's your take on that? What's all that mean? Well, I think I think basically to break it down to you know just layman's terms, it's it's a, a small group um, wielding extreme power, and at the head of that group is is one ma- one man. And the reports that I've read um, through people on the ground in Ukraine, both um, associated with with the government and the military, and also just what I've read widely in in the news that you and I both get here in the states. By the way, we're blessed to have. Freedom of press, where we can read whatever we want, uh, which the, of course the Russian people can't. Is yeah, it's um, his, he has a reality in his mind, Pat, of of how he sees the world, and um, and he's not he's doing all he can to make sure that that reality is what what his fellow Russian people are seeing as well. And it's very sad to me because I think a lot of wonderful, excellent Russian people have been greatly deceived by a lot of propaganda. And um, so, yeah, you know, I I do pray for a conviction and a, and a radical change of heart there as well. Kyle, does this war just go on endlessly, like uh, like Afghanistan? Or, or I, is there a solution? Does it end somehow? You know, it's all about territory, Pat. You know, it really is. I think, I think it's... Um, Two countries uh, desperately jockeying for leverage, for for chips at the bargaining table. I pray that it doesn't go on as long as as Afghanistan. I also pray that um, you know that cooler heads will prevail on the Russian side, and that I think that's a wonderful prayer too. Is that Putin would that God would place um, people around him that would have the courage to speak the truth and, and that he'd be willing to hear because um, rational, uh, uh, you know, intelligent, thoughtful um, minds have, have to rise up here and they have to be part of the bargaining. And so, you know, right now we're just seeing basically a stalemate, right? I mean, 
The press is telling us that on the Eastern Front, in the Donbass, the Russians are making progress, but it's, quote-unquote, not by miles, it's by feet. I mean, we're talking a World War I-type scenario of trench warfare, mm. mostly fought with artillery. And then you have, of course, now Ukraine in the south, in the only regional capital the Russians have been able to capture, which is Kherson, which is a strategic port city on the Dnieper River, which flows into the Black Sea. Very strategic. And right now, as we speak, Pat, the, the Ukrainians are, uh, are setting up for a major counteroffensive to try to take, retake that city. So to answer your question, I again, I'm not an expert, but we're not. I'd, I'd like to say we're talking months, but unfortunately, I don't believe that's the case. Kyle Duncan has been our guest. We've got a wrap-up right after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, my friends, I'm so glad that you had uh, the opportunity to plug in here with us on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've had a couple of interesting guests today. Dennis Allen uh, talked about his book, The Disciple Dilemma, uh, rethinking and reforming how the church does discipleship. Dennis was uh, with us in Northern Virginia. And then we went to San Diego, uh, Kyle Duncan, Hope for Ukraine, the name of his book. Stories of grit and grace from the front lines of war. And uh, uh, just a reminder, uh, my latest book, Every Day is Game Day. Uh, Go get a copy. Uh, It's a 365-page devotional. Uh, And each day, each devotion has got a sports theme, sports story to it. I, I think you'll enjoy it. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long. To AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.